This is the Retro Rundown with Bart and Josh. This week we're covering the different types of video game variances. Welcome to Retro Rundown. I am Josh. And I'm Bart. Alright Bart, how, uh, how's everything been going this week? Oh, pretty good, pretty good. Actually, I tracked down an Odyssey 2 on uh, Craigslist. And uh, but it's it's a non-working Odyssey two with seven games for twenty bucks. And looking looking at the prices for twenty bucks, you're not going to get seven games for the Odyssey. I mean, wh- when are you going to find Odyssey games in general? So I'll figure out, I'm, I might give it a shot if Lacey uh, opens up the purse and, and lets me spend a little money. I, I think it was a pretty good deal. Uh, when I picked up my Odyssey two, I think I spent about uh, fifty to sixty, maybe even seventy bucks. It's been a while since I had it, and I got the system and, and a few games. Well, I know there's not a lot of de- demand for the system, but it's so rare nowadays. I mean, talking about something that came out almost 40 years ago now. Uh, yeah, true. I mean, and, and the Aussie 2 is probably one of the uh, – it's hard, but it's one of the smaller collections to get uh, complete in. Yeah, I could I, I, I could understand that. It's, it's really not a lot of games, but, I mean, how, how many variations of Pong can there be, right? Oh, yeah, but the Aussie 2 had, had a few more features. I mean – if you I look at, right. I think I'm, I'm I'm thinking about the Odyssey one. Uh, you're right. I I never actually played the Odyssey two. Of course, I mean I don't have one. Um, so it, is it more like akin to an Atari twenty six hundred? It was going in that direction. To be honest, I mean I've only seen clips. I haven't actually hooked mine up yet. It was one of those I bought it before I moved and haven't really had a chance to hook it up. I got you. So what you got for this week in gaming, Josh? Pokemon came out in Japan, both the red and the green carts for the Game Boy in uh, nineteen ninety six. So that first Pokemon that ever came out? Yeah, it's the first-gen Pokemon. It would be uh, red and blue in the States when it finally came over, but it's uh, red and green in Japan. Now, was any green Pokemon ever released in the States? No, there's never been any of that. At one point, they did do a re-release of uh, different titles, and they did come out with Leaf Green, which was a remake of the red and blue titles uh, for the U.S. side. Ah, okay. Well, I figure we'll go into the news. All right, so the first thing on uh, news today, the big thing throughout the whole week that everyone's been talking about is the PlayStation 4. For me, it's kind of exciting, but I'm still waiting to hear a little bit more news. How did you feel about it, Bort? Well, I mean, everybody knew it was coming. It's just uh, a... Well, you know, I did hear some people say, well, maybe there won't even be another round of consoles that they might decide to go with uh, some type of just entertainment center. But really, that's what it is. I mean... The the, uh, the video games is almost secondary to a lot of the other features of it, but uh, it sounds like they're still they're still staying true to the video game the video games on the system. Yeah, they're 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 not getting too heavy into digital downloading right out of the gate. They're still gonna have the hard copies for a lot a lot of different things, and uh, the big thing that we might see for digital is uh, streaming the old PlayStation games, and no telling what else they might end up streaming. Yeah, you were telling me about that. You know, I I knew I understood when they were talking about streaming to like a a PSP Vita, but uh, I didn't. They they talking about streaming to the to the actual system. Like you won't download the games. From what from what I'm understanding so far, they might have a download option later. But they they're talking about streaming, uh, almost like on a. It's called Gaikai. It's a cloud based server in which that that would be uh, streaming games, almost like how OnLive was. Uh, it would use that, so that way you don't have to worry about uh, using hardware emulators that would uh, bog down and, and make the system cost more. This way you could stream the games. Downloading could be an option later on, but it's not being implemented right away. 
Which, I mean, PlayStation 1 emulators are already out there. you think that could be a software fix. And, and it probably will be. I, I'm almost I'm almost sure I've seen that it was already on the PS3. It didn't add any extra cost, really. It might be something that, that's going to be available day one for you to pop in a PlayStation 1 game into the, the PlayStation 4. Well, I, I know a lot of retro gamers would like that. That way, you know, you don't have to stack up all your consoles on top of each other trying to hook up all those uh, RCI cables. Yeah, that that would always be some kind of beast. So, uh, do you have anything else you want to talk about with uh, the PlayStation 4? Well, no, the only thing I like is that uh, at least I'm, I don't even have my PS3 yet because uh, um, the price is so high on them, and I like retro games. But uh, whenever the, the PlayStation 4 goes out, I'll be happy to see the price drop on the PS3 and all the PS3 games, you know, get into PS3 collecting. And, and one, of the thing, one of the good things about with the PS3 is that when you get on the PSN, uh, you'll be able to look at the uh, – I mean, you have Steam. You know how Sega's done their collection. They have the same thing on the uh, on the PlayStation Three, and this way at least you get a nice, you know, regular controller to try to be altered beast, beast with. And um, now Capcom's released their arcade cabinet. And they'll be putting 1942 and 1943 all up there as well. Oh, anything else on the PlayStation Four? Um, I mean, they're not not collectors wise. I mean, they have a few interesting features uh, that's bringing it around. Where uh, I'm not. Hugely sold on it. A lot of people, a lot of other people in the community seem to be talking about the share feature that PlayStation is bringing in the huge uh, social media push that they lacked in the last uh, system. A lot of people talked about how Xbox had the online and the communication down, but uh, Sony did not. And it looks like they're really trying to bring that home this time where you can hit the share button and, and bring out clips from your games not too long after you're playing them. And then you can actually uh, play with your friend. Like, well, you can see your friend playing, not only see it, them but see the game they're playing at the same time and there's even talk about even remotely playing for them in, in certain events now I'm, I'm betting that that feature is going to have some limitations because what's going to end up happening is one person will buy a game and other people will try to play it remotely from their game like hey man can you leave your your you leave your playstation on so i can play it even though i don't own the game and so i, I bet there's going to be time restraints on that uh, and there and there might be. I mean, like or I said, you might actually have to own the copy of the game. And like I said, it was one of those things that the, I kind of heard through Gatevine. They kind of talked about here and there, but that we're still in the early stages. No telling what's actually gonna you know find out. Like I mentioned, Guy Kai earlier, we don't know how long before everything's streaming. We don't know how long before all these share features are fully implemented. But we we have a basic understanding of what they're expecting. At least a basic share of at least your performance in the game to like a YouTube or, or stuff like that will be instantaneous when we get it. As far as uh, invading your friend's game, uh, we'll see about that. Well, all right, what else we got, Josh? So this week, Resident Evil 1.5 hit the web, web for download. Uh, did you hear about this, Bort? Yeah, I think uh, I read about it at RetroCollect.com. Um Apparently, uh, whenever I, you see, I never even heard about this until I read the news story. Uh, apparently, whenever uh, Resident Evil 2 was being in development, they were almost complete. And whenever quality control got a hold of it, they sent them back in to, to the drawing board to start the game all over. But this was after they already sent out press kits with videos and screenshots of the first game. Apparently, the community have been chomping at the bit looking for this original game. People who like Resident Evil... But it was never released. But from what I understand, videos over the last 15 years have been coming out from this this game that didn't exist, from this prototype game, basically. 
Yeah, so apparently somebody finally got their hands on it and uh, and released it for download. It'll be interesting to see a different Resident Evil story from the PlayStation 1 period. Yeah, I think it would be kind of interesting. I heard about Resident Evil 1.5 during a uh, Resident Evil retrospective I've seen online. Uh, it, it seemed pretty interesting. It uh, featured uh, Leon and then some other uh, college student character that they later replaced with uh, Chris uh, Redfield's sister, Claire Redfield. So I think the demo should be relatively interesting. It might be still pretty buggy, but no telling how long before the community gets on it and, and tries to polish that up. Which, yeah, to be honest, I, I didn't actually go try to find the game. From what I read, it was pretty buggy. I'm guessing you could play it with a regular uh, PS1 emulator. But who knows? I'm, I'm sure the community will probably clean it up and press it to a disc, and you'll be able to play it on your PlayStation 1 as a homebrew. Oh, yeah, no telling how long before they do that. It's amazing. It really is. So uh, last up on the news, it's, it's kind of sad for all us video game site, you know, all, all of us who go out there and just try to read as much gaming news as we can, be it retro, be it new, we just try to read all the news out there, and uh, we're going to be losing uh, GameSpy and, and 1UP recently. But you really know more about what's going on with this. Can you really fill us in about what's going on? Um, They sent out one of these corporate messages from uh, Ziv Davis, the owner of, uh, of 1UP and GameSpy. Apparently, uh, they recently bought out IGN, and which I haven't been going to these sites as long as I used to, but I used to go to 1UP all the time. Uh, I used to like a lot of their podcasts. No, uh, apparently Zip Davis bought out IGN, and now having one company owning all of these different game sites is probably unfeasible. So they're, uh, they said they're going to be winding down 1UP and GameSpy. And I never really went to, to GameSpy.com, but at 1UP, I, mean, I know I used to like a lot of the writers there. Um, I trusted their opinions on stuff, so it's it's a sad day for me. I mean, they're going to be laying a lot of people off, probably. Did you used to you, you ever uh, went to any of those sites, Josh? Never really went to GameSpy. I was more of a one-up guy when they first came out. They had some pretty decent news articles. They had uh, different, like, just interest articles coming out about, like, nice little retrospectives. Uh, especially later on, they really, really hit on to the meat and potatoes of uh, some of the, like, making connections between older games and newer games and and uh, but in recent well, years, and, I, you know, I mean, that reminds me, we're going to be losing Retronauts too. I mean, that's a, a a retro gaming podcast. There's not a lot of, I mean, that's why we're making this podcast because there's just not a lot of, of good uh, retro podcasts out there. So hate to lose one. Yeah, I, I agree with you. It's kind of sad to see it, but I'll, I'm sure they'll find a home somewhere. Well, and I mean, it would be nice to see it like a retro a, a retro uh, side of IGN. I know uh, you like IGN, but I've, I've never really had a use for it just because. Uh, it seems like they're always covering the most modern stuff out there. So, I, I mean, if IGN would start reporting on, you know, retro stuff, it, I, I, I think it, I think it would, it would really bring a lot of people like me to their site more often. I, I mean, yeah, I think it, it brings a little bit more of the community in. Yeah, not, had. I, I think IGN gets plenty of traffic already, but I mean, I guess you could always, you know, it's it's good to have a a, a hub where you can find a little bit of everything. Exactly. All right, so that's all for the news we have today. Uh, after our break, we're going to get into card variances. Well, not just card variances, just different video game variances that you might need to know when you're collecting. So just stay tuned, and we'll get to that after the break. Rest in peace. GameSpy and OneUp.com, you will be missed for all the good times you've provided all of us gamers out there. 
fondly remembered. Hey, welcome back. So, Josh, you're going to cover this first one for me. Uh, you're talking about cart variations. It's for people who really want to have it. When you, when you say you have a complete collection, you mean you have a complete collection, right? There's a lot of things that people don't realize with uh, card variances. But let's start with one of the more known examples. If you're in the older crowd, everybody's familiar with the classic uh, gold Legend of Zelda cart that you got. Be it the Legend of Zelda or uh, Zelda 2 Link's Adventure. Both gold carts, everybody knew they had them. And occasionally, people would come across and see they had the gray cart. The main difference. A lot of people always came across assuming that, you know, the, the gray cart was extremely common, the gold cart was was rare, and everybody wanted the gold cart. And I know, and you know, every time I meet up with somebody, uh, and, and you know, just people at work or anywhere, uh, I'm like, so, hey, I heard you, you they'll mention something about Nintendo, I'll say, hey, do you have any old Nintendo games? And they'll say, I'll always say, if they have Zelda, they'll say, yeah, I have Zelda, the gold cart. Exactly, and, and, and it makes it sound like it's a little bit more special, but in all reality, the gray cart was really the rarer one, which is a, a slight thing that you wouldn't expect. You would normally think that the gold cart would be the rarer of the two. Well, I think the way you should look at it is the gold is like gold, and the uh, gray is like platinum, right? In this case, it would be. It, it doesn't happen everywhere. I mean, just look at the um, World Championship carts. Uh, you know, that was reversed, where, where the gray carts were like silver and the gold carts were gold. Yeah, yeah, that's actually one case where uh, if you have the which it's look if I had any world championship card, I think uh, I think I'd be pretty happy with it. Exactly, gay, gray or gold. I mean, you can't really complain about either one. So uh, moving on throughout the um, throughout the different kind of variances, uh, let's just kind of look at the NES for a little bit. Um, outside of uh, the gold and the gray card, which is pretty much as far as officially released Nintendo car, uh, carts. That's about all we're going to get, is the gray and the gold. So, Nintendo never released any other color cart than the two Zelda carts? That's the only two colored carts they released? On the NES? Yeah. Um, through what I Through the research I could find, that was the only ones I could see. Like I okay. said, if, if you look at uh, unlicensed game, you had some powdered blue carts, you had some additional gold carts. Oh, God, yeah. If you start looking at Wisdom Tree, I think they would release it in anything that they could put a, uh, they could put a board in. Yeah, uh, black carts, um, by like a tangent. Exactly, which yeah. uh, which while we're in the NES era, tangent's very interesting because that that was kind of variant that I was looking at talking about because tangent had uh their unlicensed black card games. I had like Tetris and Pac Man and Gauntlet and a few other games on it. And the interesting thing was that later on some of the games became uh actual licensed Nintendo games and others didn't. So you had... Well, the license by Nintendo... Uh, by, uh, did Tangent get the license for Well, eventually, uh, they had... Uh, at one point, they did. Because you had games like uh, Gauntlet, that was originally a Tangent card that actually became licensed for Nintendo later. Uh, you see, I, I, I didn't know that. I, in fact, now that I'm thinking about it, I don't know what my Gauntlet is. Um, now, which one's rarer? Do you know? Um, actually, that's not something I, I looked into immediately. Um, I would figure the tangent is because that's normally how it goes with those kind of cards. That the tangents tend to be a little bit more rare, and you normally fetch a higher price for those kind of things. So if if you're out there collecting, and you see a tangent card, and if you don't have one, you just might want to get your hands on, even if it doesn't look like a worthwhile game, because you never know what that might bring in. 
Yeah, because I know some tangent cards run pretty low. I know the Tetris is worth more than the regular Nintendo Tetris. Yes, it is. Uh, I'm not very uh, knowledgeable about all the tangent games out there. And then, and the thing is, like with the tangent Tetris, that's a completely different game than Nintendo. It like it's different companies and everything. Well, I, I, they had two players, and I think that was the big the big pull for the tangent one was that you could play against against your friends. Exactly, and, and tangent yeah, tangent was known as the better of the two Tetris games actually. Um, so what other var- variations? I mean, I, I know I've heard about the uh, talking about five screw or three screw. Uh, can you explain that one to the audience? Throughout different cycles in, in the NES life, they had uh, they did different screw types. It, it, sometimes, like with the old, what happened was that a lot of the older carts had uh, five screws. And you know what? When I heard about it, they said supposedly the five screws are much easier to open. From what I heard, that they would actually uh, people in the in the early age of uh, the Nintendo would take out carts from cheap. They would open up the case on an expensive game and put a cheap board in it, close it, and then put the expensive game in a, uh, into a new cart. And they would sell back the case of the expensive game in, uh, to, a, to a place that buys used games. And they would keep, they'd have the, 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 the expensive game in a cheaper game's cart, and they could play it with the cheaper cart. Uh, I, that's what, I, I, I read that somewhere, but I can't even remember where. And that what it was, when they moved to three and they had the latches at the top, uh, it was harder to, to take apart and put back together. See, and, and that's something I hadn't, I hadn't quite heard about yet. So that, yeah, that's. I mean, I don't. I don't. I've never. To be honest, I, I, I might be a bad retro collector. I've never taken a cart apart. Uh, personally, when I get a cart, I, <laughs> I want to keep it together. <laughs> I I agree with you there. So I mean, so we have the five and three screw. Here's an interesting thing that the gold card of Zelda actually comes in a a five and a three screw cart. So now you have. Uh, three different types there. You have a gray and then two different types of golds. So now, the gray always comes in five or always comes in three? Uh, it always... Actually, I actually have to physically check that now that you mention it. Um, <laughs> but I believe it's a three. Okay, so it, it was probably... The gray was sold later in the life of the system? Yeah, uh, the gray the gray was actually sold um, in 1992. Just that year? Oh well, it was sold after 1992. It was was sold extremely late in the lifespan, so it had to be a three screw. Okay. Outside of the screws, uh, we also have variances in labels, which is interesting because not only on the NES, but Atari was known for having label variances left and right. On the Atari, the big thing was that uh, not only was Atari distributing stuff, but so was Sears. So you would have take a venture for instance. Adventure had a text-based label by Atari and a text-based label by Sears. They had a picture-based label by Atari, and they had a picture-based label by Sears. And then they also had the re-release of the cart later on that had its own picture label that was different. And this happened with, like, Combat and... You could have an entire collection of just Adventure cards. It was like a lot of the early, early on Atari games had those different variances where it was like five of them, and... At mo- at most of them had three, at least, for a lot of the early 2600 games. Man, I mean, uh, I know I personally like the text cards. I think they, they look better, to be honest. I've, the artwork on Atari games never impressed me too much. Man, I mean, if you start collecting every variant, uh, you could probably drive yourself crazy. You know, because even if you find the game, hey, I, I already found this game. But, you know, hey, this is a different variant of it. I mean, do you personally ever look at variants whenever you're collecting? Do you ever... 
you know, grab a cart and say, man, I already got punch out, but uh, let me check the back, make sure it has five screws. And, you know, uh, do, I mean, do you ever catch yourself doing that personally? Um, I have on occasions, especially if it's a cart I already know I have. And I'm like, well, look, they're selling it for relatively cheap here. What what would I gain or lose buying this? You know, if I think it's one from a later lifespan, maybe I'll get it. Uh, it's always good to have a, another card of a game, and if you can get a, come with come with a variant at a cheap price, I don't see why why not. Well, to be honest, what you'd almost need to do, and I, which I'm always looking for a good database. There's a couple out there, but you almost need to keep a database of everything you got and the variant it is. Just in case you're out there, because man, it's so hard to remember these rare variants. Uh, I know I read up on a, on a couple of the, uh, the the screw variants, and uh, some of them are very rare. But man, how do you remember all that whenever you're out there searching in the wild, right? Exactly. I mean, it's something that you just kind of have to know for. If you're, you have to know that you're going out looking for games that day. If you, if that's what your mission is, you just can't be like, oh man, I'm going to go stop by a Goodwill one day and go walk in there and be like, yep, this is what I'm going to get. And you walk in there like, oh, I already have this game. Oh, do I have that variant? You, you shouldn't bring that list with you all the time. So it's still kind of a gamble. Well, I mean, it, it'd always be good. I know that uh, we got some local game stores. And a lot of your local games, like uh, we have a place called Play and Trade. The guys over there are pretty quick. They, they value everything about what it sells for. But you could probably catch a good deal if you can find some of these rare variants that they might not catch because, you know, they look at the name of the game, they put a price on it. They don't, they, they're not looking to see if one label has a, a like in, in Nintendo, uh, NES, was there label variants there? Oh, yeah, there was uh, a number of label variants. Probably the one that collectors like me and you might know, and, but a lot of the major public doesn't catch is the difference in between uh, round and oval labels. In the early Nintendo cards, they had round labels, the Nintendo the seal approval. Yeah, yeah. It says Nintendo approved, or what is it? I forget. I forget what it says exactly. Exactly. Well, that that seal was originally um, black in a uh, in a circle, and that, those were released in the 1985 to 1986 range. But in 1989, they switched over to the white oval uh, shape. Very popular games, uh, Mario Duck Hunt. You know, in, in any of the older games that were still being published came out with these two different Nintendo seals on it. And not only do we have that, we have things uh, like games like Hogan's Alley. You buy the game, it has the same front label, it has the same Nintendo seal, but there's certain tops. If you look at it, one has an orange uh, Hogan's Alley and the other one has a white Hogan's Alley. And so that's a small variant. A lot of people don't catch that now, kind of that, stuff. Is, what, is any of them a, a very rare variant? Some of them, some of them a little bit are because there wasn't like there's some games that were published like around 1988 and they didn't have a, a major publishing at first, but it kind of caught on in 1989. They had had a larger one, uh, so they had way more oval than they had uh, round. So the round the round seals would have been you know it would have been more rare for the round ones. So you probably could catch a buck or two more, but uh, I can't think of any of those off the top of my head. Well, shoot, uh, do you have a certain site that you found a lot of these at? Um, I, I went to RF Generations to look for at least uh, a number of the five and three screw variances and uh, the oval and the round variances. However, they don't tell you how rare they are. They just tell you which where which cards have what. Oh, I got you. Because, um, man, I, I can't remember which site I went to. It wasn't RF Generation, but was it in the forum or was it in a... Uh, it was in, in a, a database. 
in, it was in the database itself. Okay. Yes. So that's that's. I mean, yeah, R of generation is a good tool. Um, it, is there any others that you uh, looked up? The last thing I really wanted to mention on the NES was uh, they also had the occasional completely different label, Metroid. Metroid was the prime example of this, where when it first came out, it had a gray cart. Uh, like, it was a regular gray cart with the label. It was the, you know, in-game graphics with Metroid written under it. And later on in the lifespan, towards the, like, the the re-release when they did the the Zelda and, Zelda and everything, and around 1992, they did the, uh, a cart where it was, like, a yellow, a yellow um, label with uh, Samus drawn on the front, uh, with Metroid on it, which was a really nice looking label. You know, and so being, being so late in life, it's probably the rarer one too, right? It, it is. Which um, going back to the uh, the oval in the circle again, once again, the Zelda Gold Cart actually had those as well. So amongst the Zelda games alone on the NES, you can actually have four different kinds of Zelda carts. <laughs> and that's each and that's each game one and two uh actually only one the second the second game only had three but that's still if you're if you're trying to get a complete legend of zelda collection on the nas you need seven games if you're trying to go for variants yeah <laughs> and then and then and then after you get all seven of those good luck finding seven that have working batteries inside of them exactly i i know I, uh, my game uh i gotta beat if, if i want to beat it i gotta beat it on one playthrough <laughs> battery dead right yep so is there any other systems that you that you, that you checked out um i also looked at uh the super nintendo believe it or not um which isn't really known for its variants and a lot of people don't collect variants on it but they do have certain things like you, you don't come across a lot of seals or whatnot but you look at certain games and you'll find that some are made in japan and some are made in mexico uh, and then there's also uh, another difference was that if you if you pick up any NES card, you realize that some of the carts have uh, in the front they just have a slit, and then they go right back down, and that's when you put it in the in the Super Nintendo and you put the power on and it like grabbed it. You remember that? Yes, yeah. Yeah, so that they had that slit there, but certain carts have uh, a depression instead, where instead of having it where it locks into a slit ahead, where like it's hard to describe. But like the cart, if you look at it, the cart front, it looks depressed instead of just having that slip straight across. Yeah, I, I, I kind of remember what you're saying. I mean, uh, I do remember that there was little differences, but of course, you know, not thinking about it, I always assumed that each game was made with one type of cart. Well, and and, and you could assume that, but like a Super Mario World, that's the I, one. Had uh had actually uh three different variances, but the, the labels all looked the same and everything. The only difference was that they had. The, that cart difference, and I had uh, one was made in Japan, one was made in Mexico, and now, so. Oh, I was gonna say, uh, was there a certain year that they changed cart style, or was it a certain when they went from Mexico to Japan, or? I, I was really trying to find that, but it was to find uh, sources from other people. A lot of times when I was looking at stuff, people had just put whatever, and and what I really need to do is actually look behind the game and and go like, oh, this is copyrighted from this year, this is copyrighted from this year, and I just hadn't gotten around to that. I got you. Well, it's just something to look out for for uh, those super those uh, Super NES collectors. Now, another thing about the Super NES, uh, we don't see a lot of label change. Once again, we don't see a lot of label changes on on Nintendo games. But once again, Legend of Zelda pops up. Uh, a Link to the Past came out with a bundle for the NES towards the uh, the Super NES for, towards the end of its life cycle. So if you bought a Link to the Past when it first came out, it had uh, a particular label with it. But if you bought it in the bundle with the Super NES, it had a completely different label on it, which created its own 
more rare prestige behind it. So now, once so once again, Zelda's leading the way with card variants. Well, yeah, I mean, and and was there a now Zelda's with all gray cards on the on the Super NES though, right? Correct. Outside of uh, Killer Instinct, Killer Instinct black card, yep. Outside of Killer Instinct, the other one was uh, Maximum Carnage, which was a Spider-Man game featuring Carnage from the comic books, which was a red card. I've they, seen the card, yep. And they had one other red card. I can't remember what it was. I think it was Doom. Doom was the other red card, and that was the only obscure colors really on on the Super NES. Uh, now I know uh, Nintendo 64 is a whole other matter when it oh, comes to other cards. I know I've seen a, a rainbow of cards on there. Nintendo 64, that's where a lot of color variants, because you had color variants for carts, you had color variants for controllers, you had color variants for consoles, you had <laughs> you had clear controllers, you had clear consoles, you had the N64 when it comes to collecting. Card variances in Nintendo is the most obvious because it's it's, it's, it's like they suddenly uh, learned how to uh, dye plastic, right? Exactly. It, <laughs> it, it it comes down to the purely probably the easiest way to collect variances on the N64 because it's it's color. It's all you go for color. Um, but but outside of that, I mean, they have a few other variances. Like in the modern age, we see it in. Collector's editions, limited editions, uh, greatest hits. One thing I came up against talking about greatest hits, I had a, I, I remember, you remember when Advent Children was released? Uh, I had Final Fantasy VII, and uh, I, I saw it was selling for like sixty, seventy, eighty dollars online because uh, the Final Fantasy VII was all the rage. But uh, I, I was uh, when I when I kind of posted it, I was notified that it's a greatest hits. It wasn't worth nearly as much. Do you find that a lot with the greatest hits collections that it, it kills the value? When a game sees a resurgence, it, it kind of does. The greatest hits is normally seen not to be a lesser game, but it's going to cost less because it's it's in a second printing. Think about like a book. The first the first printing of the book, that first edition is always going to be more of that author ever hits off. Like if you ever have a, if you have a first edition. Uh, like even the modern age, if you have a first edition of Harry Potter in comparison to like one of the you know thousands of reprints later, and that thing is signed by you know the author, it's gonna, yeah, it's going to be worth way more than than the later editions. Same kind of thing is going to apply with, with with video games. Those earlier first editions are normally going to be your rarer ones. Well, I mean, I, not I, I, always, I, not always, but well, it, I know, especially like, you do with rare hits. Well, I know with the new games, they have the Game of the Year editions that normally come with a lot of, uh, like, DLC that wasn't included or updates, with, and it, they're updated without the same bugs. I don't, does that happen on any of the greatest hits games? I know they did with, I mean, you see it a lot in the newer generations where, where it's the same game, but it comes with all the extra features that you normally would have to download. Do, do you see that with any of the older versions? I'm, I mean, I, I don't know if you would even know that. I, I can't say for greatest hits uh, on... Like the PlayStation, I'm not sure if they did a lot of debugging. I do know that um, uh, Legend of Zelda: uh, Ocarina of Time had a with its different card variances in between the gold and the gray, and they even released a, another gray later on. Had uh, essentially they patched the system. Like currently with modern games, they'll like have patches that come out. Well, same thing happened with that. Like I have the gold cart for Ocarina of Time, and they had to change um, certain symbols and music in that game with the next version of it 
So uh, you will see that in, in different releases that they might be small changes in games. Not for all of them, but occasionally that will happen. You know, I've always wondered that because, I mean, it's, it's well documented in modern games because they have these game of the year packages. I'm not sure, like, in the NES age and Super NES age and Nintendo 64 age, I'm guessing people had to realize that certain games were buggy and certain games had to be fixed later on. And, you know, is there variance inside, like... Well, the actual game is different over, you know, a four or five year period. I mean, I don't know anything about it, actually, to be honest. And uh, if any of the audience would email us with any uh, cases that they know of, or uh, man, I, I'd find that really interesting. I, I mean, probably probably one of the more prominent examples, which it wasn't fixing bugs, uh, probably might have been with um, uh, Mike Tyson's Punch-Out when it became Punch-Out. Well, that's, had... that, that's fixing uh, people's... Uh... People's criminal records. Well, <laughs> well, actually, actually, what happened? What had nothing to do with his criminal record, believe it or not. It was just that he, they personally lost the the license. He, yeah, the license. He just didn't resign the license, and then he got in trouble later on. It was actually oh. his loss to Buster Douglas that caused him not to want to sign again. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. See, you see, I, I, I didn't know. <laughs> I um, I was so smart. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, now I, I just like to move out of uh, the cart and uh, game variances for a bit and look at console variances. A lot of people, this is this is probably something more people know about, especially with the modern age, because you have you know you have the PlayStation Three, you have the PlayStation uh, Slim Three Slim, and then you have the Ultra Slim now, and the Xbox 360 has their Slim version. What people and what people might not know, I mean, even even some collectors, when they first start, they don't realize that the NES had a had a top loader version, or the Super Nintendo had a, a mini Super Nintendo. And I mean, like the N64, the GameCube, and we all had different colors that that people might have missed. And then, uh, well, and not not to mention, don't forget, not just talking about Nintendo, uh, Sega's multiple variations, and which I was, even the PlayStation's I'll, multiple. I'm sorry, I cut you off. See, that's what I was getting into. Don't worry. Because <laughs> uh, uh, Sega, for the Sega Genesis or the Mega Drive, they actually had four models of the system. Most people know of at least two. They know the two different main versions of big the red. I remember there was a big one with a lot of red on it. Yeah, there was a big one with a lot of red, and there was another one that was kind of black and yeah, it was kind of black with like a, a silver trim on it. Later on, they released the Genesis Three, which was a small, a very small console. I mean, it's it. it it was like the size of the top loader. And then uh, the last one they released was the Sega CDX, which combined the Sega, the Sega Genesis and the Sega CD into one console, which was actually about the size of the original Genesis. And it, the CD system was better on it. It worked really well. It wasn't a big, clunky system. You could put on the 32X, even though I don't know why you want either one of these things on it. You could, <laughs> and it wasn't such a beastly-looking thing. And like you, you were about to mention with the PlayStation, the original PlayStation had an interesting one when they came out the PlayStation. They did the PlayStation Mini, and then they did the PlayStation One with the LED screen on it, which that was that was a pretty interesting take. Uh, and then the PlayStation Two, and then the PlayStation Two Slim. The one that I really wanted to get to after doing all those, the one that most people I can guarantee you don't know about. Is that Intellivision actually had a second version? The Intellivision, way back when, before the video game crash in 1983, 
And television had two versions of itself, and well, one of them was a smaller one. Two, but wasn't television two a nope. separate system, or it, it was just a different look of the of the original system? In, te- in television two, was it just a different look of the original system? I thought it was a new system. I, I, it did fit the same games though. I mean, so I thought it might have been backwards compatible, but I wasn't sure. I mean, that's a fair assumption because I mean, if you're looking back now, you know. The Atari 70, uh, the 7800 plays 2600 games, and the yeah. parts look very similar. But no, the Intellivision 2 was just a smaller version of the Intellivision. Okay. Now, do you know which one's more valuable out of those two? I would assume it would the be two? The, the two, because it's a lot of people don't know about it, as many for sale. Um, I mean, the, the regular Intellivision is a classic, and, and maybe if you're dealing with layman, it, it would... The Intellivision 2 might not be worth more because people are like, I want that part of that past and not realizing what they have. You know, because some, if you're dealing with layman with a regular NES and you give them a top loader, which one do you think they're going to go with? Version well, 1 or version 2? Exactly. Well, and, and the thing is, though, if you, uh, if you look at most systems, though, it seems like the later versions are all, are often the, the smaller runs and end up having more value. Not, I think the Genesis 3 is an exception to that. I mean, if you, I, the, uh, I know the PS1 with the screen, is worth more than I mean. If you find that you you might actually pay some money money for it. If you if you find just a regular original PlayStation, I mean you just stack it up with the other thirty that are in the, that you found out the dumpster. Um, exactly. So uh, yeah, it seems like the later versions are always the more valuable ones. Just because now I could be wrong. The, the Genesis three isn't the most valuable just because it was so cheaply made, right? The most valuable of those Genesis models is the, uh, the Sega C, uh, CDX. Yeah. Yeah. My hands on for uh, about two or three years now. Yeah, which uh, how much does that one run usually? Um, in the, it normally starts somewhere normally in the hundreds. Which I, I know you mentioned that earlier. Just you know, you never know who's in in, in the audience hasn't heard of it. Uh, yeah, in case you don't, in case y'all aren't aware, the top loading NESs run for probably well over a hundred dollars now, right, Josh? Um, give or take, it, it depends who's selling it. I've seen some for less than that. Uh, it depends where you're depends going. Depends you the box, I guess. That's that's a big a, a big difference too. Usually, exactly. If it's if it's kind of loose and out there, you you could probably pick it up for less than that. Okay, which and the uh, now would you count that as variations or the uh, the new retro uh, retro duos and retro trios? Would you count that as as variations or since they're made from a different company? I guess I guess not. No, those are those are just clone systems. I mean, they don't even offer all. I mean, you can't even play all the games on on most of these consoles. They're they're just there for uh, if you if you're looking to save space and you're trying to you know not worry about your regular consoles too much and you don't want to have all these connections all over the place. It's just kind of nice to have those, just to not have you know four or five systems and all those wires hooked up at the same time. I got you. Um, outside of that, I mean, I could go into handheld variances, but that's just a whole different story, and and, and handhelds are a completely different beast that we'll, we'll have to tackle another time.
But hey, Josh, what you think of our first episode? You think it came out pretty good? I think we did all right. Well, I think I think editing will will prove to be a savior in this one. So hey, well you can catch us at retrorundown.com. Right now we're actually looking for a home. We're just setting up our website, and but we don't want to set up a forum because uh, there's so many good retro forums out there. I mean, uh, our generation, the Retro Gaming Roundtable, and uh, they got a Tory Age and Nintendo Age, and I know we probably we you can't name everybody. There's tons of great sites out there. And what we, we'd like to ask the community is if there's one of these sites would have a home for us where we can have a sub forum for conversations that, about our show. Uh, instead of trying to start a brand new forum and having everybody have to have another website they have to go to, we'd like to find a home with one of y'all. So um, just send us an email. You can email us at bart at retrorundown.com or josh at retrorundown.com. Info at retrorundown.com is the main uh, email. But just email one of us with, with your ideas of, of a site that we that we could go on or uh, really anything. Email us telling us just how terrible our show was or uh, uh, tell us about the great finds you had this week in gaming. I don't care. If you email me, I'll read it. If, if it's funny, I'll put it on the show. Seriously, we're, we're looking for a home. It's just an idea we had. If, if we have to, we'll create a forum on, on our own page. We'd really like to become part of one of y'all communities, you know? We're already part of it. I mean, we have sites that almost... I mean, Josh, how many different logons do you think you have to retro sites? Oh, I, I don't even know. I mean, I've been on Digital Press. I've been on, you know, RF Generations for a while. I've been on Nintendo Age here and there, and no telling how many logins I have for gaming sites. I, I, I know there are certain sites I probably never even logged into, but just lurked on, on... I mean, whenever you're looking up information, 90% of the time, it's some member of the community that has it. I mean, a lot of this stuff we're trying to figure out on our own. There's no... There's there's no Time Magazine for re, for retro gaming, you know. So the community is the, the best resource for anything. So we 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 definitely want to find a home with the community. Hey Josh, they can catch you. Uh, what what's your website that uh they can catch you in your other projects? If they want to learn a little bit more about me and a little bit more about my chainmail stuff, they can catch me at zenicknight.com. Uh, I'm soon about to launch uh, mylifeingaming.com for all my gaming uh, stuff. Well, that's cool. And uh, me, you, you can just, this is about all I do. Uh, <laughs> this and raising children. You can just catch me at uh, retrorundown.com. And uh, I, right now, the site's still on, under construction. It's it's not quite where we want it to be yet, but uh, I know Josh. To be honest, Josh is, is, the, uh, is the man behind all the editing of this show, and he's going to be doing the website for us. Josh, I really appreci- appreciate the work you're going to be doing for us. Not me. a problem. For, for us. <laughs> but, uh, um, I guess, uh, so what you think, Josh? We did pretty uh, good? I think we did pretty well. Like you said, we'll catch you in editing. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'll give us a C, but uh, we'll, hope, we'll hope to do better next week, and uh, I hope you listen. Man, we, we need to come up with a good, Josh, what's a good catchphrase to end the show with? We, whatever you come up with now, at this second, <laughs> is going to be how we end every show from now on. <laughs> <laughs> great, great. I don't know. Not that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, hey, we'll, we'll come. We'll, like I said, we'll do better next time. Catch us at RetroRundown.com. See you later, guys.